following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing mindfulness today on Drinks and Shrinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. I'm John Deku. And I'm Ingo Weigold. Today, we're going to be talking about a very special subject, which is mindfulness. So, Ingo, I see you're already in your robes, and you're sitting cross-legged with your incense. I'm floating. You're doing that thing where you pinch your fingers. (laughs) Yes, yeah. lotus pose, is that what they That's call it? That's what it is, yes. yeah. Have you reached, will you reach nirvana by the end of our of our discussion today? It's likely. Yeah. It's highly likely. How about yourself? Um, I don't think I will. I think I live too sinful of a life to get there, and I'm not willing to give up my sins. So, <laughs> Is part of being mindful having no sins? Is that, is, that part of <laughs> is, that, is that a requirement? Well, it seems like people who do or get really interested in like green tea and stuff and less interested in whatever, drinking or being up late, so... Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll, uh, one of us will reach it by the end of this. Possibly. How, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I, I, I got to say uh, stress levels are a little high at the moment for, um, for me. But I think I also attribute it to um, like the time of year. Mm-hmm. It's right around now that in, in the, we live in the Midwest in Chicago that I start to get sick of winter. And the problem is, is that we haven't had much of a winter until about a week, a week and a half ago. And now it's like, as I'm getting sick of winter, winter's getting worse. So that's kind of putting me in, in a down mood. It, last week was rough for me, but this week there's a lot of sun. It seems like every day because it's so darn cold. It's mm-hmm. been like around zero or below mm-hmm. a lot this week. So the sunshine helps. And we're sitting in my office and got a few windows. The sun's shining. Mm-hmm. John is looking very celestial over there with the sun <laughs> shining. It has nothing on to do with the sun. I just have a glow about me. Yes. A glow how, up, as the kids say. How are you doing? How, how are you surviving February? Um, yeah, I don't like this time of year either, but I'm doing all right. I, um, I've been playing a lot of piano and practicing, playing like actually like an hour and a half every day, which wow. has just been great dedication and it's really paying off. And sometimes it can feel like a chore, but it's not. And, um, Next week is the NBA trade deadline, so Ooh. for those who don't care, um, I'm sorry. Just give me ten seconds, but just an exciting time, you know. To and uh, my wife really enjoys Mardi Gras too, so it's just. When is that this year? Is it at the end of February, or it moves around, right? Yeah, I don't remember. It's like the third week or so. She actually used to live in Southern Mississippi. That's where she went to grad school. Okay. So she would go to New Orleans all the time and went there for Mardi Gras. Yeah. Which was really important to her. So. Have you been to New Orleans for Mardi Gras? Yeah. Uh, not for Mardi Gras. I've been in New Orleans a handful of times. I don't know how it is now post-COVID, but before COVID, it was quite the uh, spectacle, I have to say. You saw it during? College, yeah. I went there for on a whim. It was like Mardi Gras was on a Tuesday, and Sunday night, we were, Sunday afternoon, we were sitting around watching the Lions play football, and someone was like, we should go to Mardi Gras. And then three of us looked at each other, and we were like, okay. And we... <laughs> We got into, we, we rented a couple cars and drove down, like straight down. There was, mm-hmm. I think, eight of us total and stayed from 
Sunday night until maybe like Wednesday. And it was it was insane. I mean, it was so crowded in the streets, like um, where there was one point there were so many people smashed together in the streets that I literally my feet were not touching the ground and I didn't fall over. If you can imagine that, that was too too tight Your for me. Feet were not touching the no, ground. No, where I, were you standing on? Well, I was standing on the. I picked up my feet and I didn't fall over. Like we were smashed oh. in so tight that like I didn't need my feet to keep Jeez. me upright. And yeah, so a little uncomfortable. But you don't really care when you're, you know, shit faced. They have, <laughs> they have this thing called a hurricane down there, which they make really well, and yeah. a bunch of rum in it. And uh-huh. You have one of those, and you know, you can't remember. Who cares if yeah. you're standing? If you have or two, f- it's like whatever. But so you're floating in Mardi Gras. You're floating as you meditate here right now. Exactly. Well, that Jerry Springer was up in one of those, like, you know, was yeah, it, yeah. What is it? Bourbon Street? What's it called? Yeah, there's the French Quarter. Yeah. yeah. And the, so like they have all these like balconies where all these famous people probably rent the places and that's something I could never afford, right? But mm-hmm. and he comes out on the balcony and everyone like piled over there because it's Jerry Springer and some other celebrity. And that's when I felt I'm like, oh my God, what mm-hmm. like I I couldn't move if I wanted to. And then my buddy and I were like, this is crazy. And he's like, lift your feet up. And I'm like, why? He goes, because I, I, I'm not touching the ground, you know? And I'm like, whoa, it's like it works. Oh, God. There's too many people. So we snuck out of there. But wow, it's a great time because people are super friendly and drunk and eating. And, you know, you can crash parties. And yeah. that's how it was. I don't know how it is now. But I got a feeling they got back to the old times you pretty think so? quick. Yeah. I, I would time. imagine. Lots of music. Yeah. Saw some weird people uh okay so so you can blink your eyes with the answer if you need to did you get some beads from people absolutely did, did you show some things to get beads i it went both ways yes <laughs> I, I saw that. things and pe- other people saw things that's hey when in rome <laughs> well, you, yeah, you gotta do gotta do it we all ended up with a giant amount of beads by the end which i brought home and then i don't know what happened to those beads i think eventually i threw them out um like some years later but mm-hmm. maybe when i had children you know daddy what are all these beads for yeah it went so yeah but it was a good time i gotta say i gotta say the weirdest thing i saw there i want to say is a a little tiny guy probably like five two wearing like full-on like if you can like chaps and all kinds of stuff leading a giant probably six foot two tight end looking guy around on a on a leash They, they were gay you know and going to like a gay club and they were both happy, but it was a very weird, like this tiny little man, like pulling this large man around on a leash, like around his neck or whatever. And I was like, this is a strange place. Yeah. And it was totally not out of place to see that. Yeah. So, right. There's like, when, when I've been there and it hasn't been that wild, but it's still like the other times outside of Mardi Gras, there's still people like, it's kind of like a never ending party. Like it yep. just never stops. And I imagine it just is like tenfold on Mardi Gras. Yes. But. Yeah, there's kind of a point you realize, oh, this is not like anywhere else in the country. I, I no. actually think, um, to me, I got the same vibes when I was in Austin, Texas in 2017-ish. There's, they have this famous street. That was, oh, yeah. Um, dang it. I forgot what, where you, all the bars are. Yeah, you can't drink in public. Like, you can't drink, like, on the, the road yeah. like you can in the French Quarter. But it was still very much, like... Where the heck am I? There's a lot of weird stuff going on. Oh yeah, there. there's a lot of strange. And Austin's cool because no matter where you go, there's good music. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it, the people that you see are like, why are these people not famous? Like they're mm-hmm. that good. And you can go from a blues bar to like a pop bar to a country to like some weird, you know, I don't know. I don't want to call jazz weird, like acid jazz. Jazz is weird. Jazz so, musicians are weird. I agree. But <laughs> so it's all there, you know, but I, I think it's very similar, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe a little tamer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Right, not as much nudity and vomit no, on the streets and stuff. Definitely like that. vomit, and they would come through and hose the literally hose the street down at like six in the morning from the night before. Fire trucks and just you know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, if you're young and you want to experience something, I highly recommend you go do that. Um, but if you're our age, you're younger than me. I, I think I think it might you might have passed the the, the prime time. Like, yeah. I think in your twenties, it's a great place for sure. Once you have kids and the family and stuff, it's just too much debauchery and somewhat dangerous at times, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, and especially nowadays with social media, who knows who's taking a picture of you, like, flashing something or doing something, too. No, I don't worry about that. But, um, but, you know, they are not being mindful. They are being drunk. Yeah. So, but we're here today to talk about mindfulness. Yeah, I got to get you off from floating, get you under the ground, and let's, let's talk about it, what it is. Let's give, can you give me a definition of what mindfulness is because let's be before we even go to anywhere this is like a, a buzz thing like people talk about mindfulness and not a lot now right and so maybe we can just clear the air at least with our definitions and what we know with what mindfulness is and hopefully we can talk about how it's used in counseling too so how would you define well mindfulness? i would say it's 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 a um attending to the present moment is kind of the simplest way i, I would describe it not looking in the past, not looking in the future, but in the right now, in this moment, exact moment in time, being aware of what's happening. That's mm-hmm. how I view mindfulness. What about you? I like it, yeah. The, the definition I found, I've looked up a few. The definition that I like is similar to yours, paying attention <clears throat> on purpose to the present moment without judgment, which seems deceptively easy but in my opinion, can be quite difficult too because people say, I am paying attention, which still might be some form of mindfulness, but still. Um, And why is this something we talk about in counseling? Yeah. Well, I think that for two reasons, like because I I think um, living in the future, anticipation, um, expectation is a form of creating anxiety in oneself and living in the past is a depressive place to be. So, if you're feeling depressed, likely you're thinking about the past or some version of that, right? And anxiety, I think, lives in the future, and sometimes you have both, you know? Um, so I think, for me, that that's an area, if you can help people focus more towards the right now and accepting the right now, not judging, like you were saying, I think it reduces the feelings of anxiousness or reduces feelings of loneliness, depression, those kind of things, you can really work with someone to kind of just accept this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I've noticed in in my opinion, so this this is something over the last few years I've become really, really interested in. And later I like to share my story, my own personal journey with mindfulness. Um, I agree with you that people, if we think of almost all forms of mental health difficulties, the majority of them do not exist right now. And by that, I mean, like, people don't come into our office and say, there's a danger I'm encountering right now. It's usually, I'm afraid or I'm worried that, like, I could get cancer Mm -hmm. or I can't stop thinking about this kind of thing or 
what if this were to happen? Or like you said, I have a regret that I did or even trauma for that matter. I'm affected I, by the past, yeah. Yeah, there's this thing that I went through that is horrible and I can't stop thinking about back then. Mm-hmm. And so the idea here is can we get ourselves to train our mind to focus on what it is we are doing at the moment? And there's a lot of things we'll talk later about too, about um, different kinds of um, interventions that have really focused on the idea of trying to engage with being present and try to engage less with that type of thinking too, thinking about the future or the past. Because really at the end of the day, the only time we could do anything is right now. You can't do anything in 10 minutes. When you get there, you can do something. Um, You can anticipate it and you can make a plan, but you can't actually do anything with it yet. Yeah, and that's a hard concept, I think, for people to get grasp because they're like, well, then why make appointments for anything? Because it that because it, you you anticipate having to go get a haircut at three p.m. Right? It, it could be that when you get there, that person's still cutting someone else's hair. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can make the time at that for that future time, but worrying about that wouldn't make any sense. And you're also not guaranteed an outcome at three p.m. You may or may not get a haircut. Right. That person could be sick. You could be stuck in traffic and get there at three o five. Someone could still be there, you know. Who knows? Yeah, I I think it's silly to say like, well, we shouldn't plan, <clears throat> right? If anybody said like, of course, planning is a necessary part of life, right? Yes. And like, you if you just spend all your money now, then tomorrow you're going to be screwed. But instead, we can say like, it seems like most people in America struggle with being present, and we don't. It's um, we don't really need to work more on planning. People are really good at multitasking and thinking about their future. Mm-hmm. They're not so good at solidifying their attention onto one thing. And so I don't. I think like we don't need to get rid of planning, but we can supplement it by focusing more on what we're doing currently. Right. You can plan, but maybe don't worry. That would be better. I agree 100%. I think yeah. part of managing worrying is to learn how to identify when we're planning versus when we're worrying. But maybe it's a conversation if we talk about worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, can I share some statistics and Please. research I found about this? So one of my favorite things I've found about um, this uh, about mindfulness with studies is, first of all, there's a lot of research that shows that it can be helpful for depression, anxiety, anger, stress, and trauma. Uh, for stress, the only program I know personally that has evidence behind stress management it's called mindfulness-based stress reduction. It's a course you can take, and you can go to seminars and things like that. Hmm. But it just goes to show that this is one of the few things where we people say, take some deep breaths and whatever it might be. But that's not actually shown as um, rigorously as the research does for uh, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction does for managing stress. There was a study in 2010 from Harvard and if I'm recalling it correctly, what they did is they had, I think it was a lot of people, like I think over 2,000 people, they had them download an app on their phone and the app would go off randomly throughout their day and it would ask them, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? And then also to select an emotion based on this like wheel of like half of them are quote unquote positive, the other half are quote unquote negative. Mm-hmm. And they found that on average, how how much time do you think people wrote down that they were thinking about what they're doing, if you had to take a guess? Percentage-wise? Yeah. 5%. That's 
that they were thinking about what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, it was actually 47%. Oh, wow. It's half. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's not 5%. That'd be kind of scary. But So we spend almost, an uh, average person spends about half their life not thinking about what they're doing. So if you're eating, let's say, I don't know, like a salad, you're not thinking about the salad. You are thinking about whatever TV show you're watching or looking at your phone or the book you're reading mm -hmm. or like argument you got with your coworker. But they found that people who had lower than 47% were more likely to select a positive emotion on an emotion on the emotion wheel. And people who are higher than 47% were more likely to select the negative. So the more likely you are not thinking about what you're doing, the more likely you are to actually have more negative experiences too, emotionally. Oh, I see. So unawareness of the present means you have a higher likelihood of being sad or, or negative, a negative mm -hmm. feeling. Yes. Okay. And I believe there's other research that have sh has shown this too. In addition, the, I don't know how they came to this conclusion, but the researchers speculated that don't ask me how they got these numbers, but 4.6% of overall happiness is due to activity, but almost 11% is due to being engaged and present with what you're doing. So it appears as though what you do isn't as important as how present you are. And I don't know hmm. about you, but in my life, I think that makes sense because when I'm doing really important things, I'm not thinking about other things. As I've traveled and I've... Mm -hmm gone on a mountain or whatever it might be i say wow look how amazing this is i don't bust out my phone and go on snapchat i'm being really present with where that thing is or if i'm at a really really good concert those are things that i walk away from and i say i'm really invested in what this thing is too mm -hmm. now those things are easy to get invested in because they really take my attention but it doesn't mean that have, have to be the only thing i'm invested in yeah that makes a lot of sense because I mean sometimes when I feel stressed, I can I can just take five minutes and sometimes I do it on the couch you're sitting on if I have a break between clients and I will close my eyes and I will just focus on the breath for example and I find that if I was in a bad mood before I did that when I come out of that even like three to five minutes of it I feel lighter mm -hmm. you know there's something about like taking that energy and saying I'm not going to think about anything. Um, in the future or the past and if that happens i'm going to gently put bring myself back to my breath but just taking a pause enough for long enough to give my brain a break from like the you know worry that mm -hmm. it has i feel happier so that makes sense you know lighter i'm if i've had a headache and i've done that like some magically the headache goes away like i yeah. you know so there's a lot of truth i think in what you're saying it, it works definitely um another uh more research i found was from the international journal of neuroscience they showed that people who practiced mindfulness, um, I don't remember how often it was, but I think it was over five years, they showed that they appeared younger. And by that, they can you can measure a person's biological age or their chronological age. The chronological age is how many trips they've taken around the sun. Yes. And that's the same. Their biological age changes by a lot of factors like exercise, sleeping, whatever, or, you know, um, eating habits and what they found was that on average people who practice mindfulness were 12 years younger than their chronological age 
Wow. So if you practice, let's say you were 30 and you practice until you were 35, mm -hmm. on, and when you're 35, you are more likely to be, what would that be? 25. 23 years old um, uh, biologically. Wow. So that means you have the mental capacity, you have the attention of a 23 year old, you know? So this, it seems wild to me that we don't, like doctors are not suggesting this left, right, and center, right? Well, you can't monetize this. Uh-oh. <laughs> the uh, conspiracy <laughs> alert. All right. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think you can't monetize it. So mm -hmm. I, I think we're also a disease model in the medical industry. Uh, industry. I call it an industry for a reason. I think yeah. it, was, it was a Freudian slip, but it's yeah. accurate. I think it's a disease-based model, and they're not looking to prevent things necessarily. It's they're treating stuff and treatment, doctors, medication, things like that. My dad always uh, would say, like, um, maybe it wasn't my dad. Someone's, someone his age said to me, if you go to a surgeon, they're going to operate on you. So, um, you know, so it's like a doctor is going to try to treat you, but their form of treating is medication. So it's like... But doctors suggest, like, exercise all the time. Yeah, I don't know. But mindfulness, I don't know. There's, just, like, lots of apps they could peddling that have like subscription services. For mindfulness? Yeah. But they can't get any money from that. They could if they made a partnership with them. They could. But I've never, I, I mean they could make partnerships with gyms too, but they don't. They just say go get more exercise. My doctor's told me, you know, hey your stress is kind of high, you should consider getting more exercise. He doesn't say you should go to this gym, right? Yeah. But I don't know, I, I have a more optimistic view of okay. medical what is professionals. It? Of medical professionals, I think that generally they want to help and that sometimes that intervention is through medications maybe more than they even want to. But, you know, you go to you go to a dietitian, they're going to say that the problem is your diet. You go to a physical therapist, they're going to say the problem is strength. You go to a doctor, they're, they're going to say the problem is probably you need a medication, right? That's mm -hmm. just not how they know how to answer the question. Just like how else we're going to say if they, somebody has a problem, we're more likely going to say it's psychological. But so in any case, I think it's strange that I could see in the next 20-plus years um, hopefully, if doctors are not maybe as corrupt as you're suggesting, um, they're going to be more willing to suggest mindfulness too. I don't. I'm not trying to suggest they're corrupt. I'm saying the system is not designed to have those types of interventions as okay. part of the treatment plan necessarily, because they can't monetize that as easily as like medication for example well let's say hoping that the doctors are not as influenced by the system as you're saying yes hopefully over the next 20 years mindfulness becomes part of it i could i foresee that being a thing where it's more because like other research i found like i have a book on mindfulness for pain management i used to run a chronic pain support group and that was something we talked about all the time is how do you use mindfulness to help with pain Mm -hmm. right? And with the opioid problem that we have in our country too, I think it's gotten better, but it's still like a, why don't we try this kind of approach? Yeah. I've never heard of a doctor. I very, I should say, I, I've rarely heard of doctors suggesting this kind of thing to people. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's too bad. Maybe they should. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a, there's definitely a lot of benefit to it and I've seen it in my practice. I've seen it personally. And as you're alluding to the research shows that it is effective in many ways. Yeah. So, so, and just to review too, I, f I found it personally to be helpful for anxiety, depression, anger, trauma, pain management, like I said, and seasonal depression. I don't know if there's anything else you've noticed. And stress too, stress management. 
who's more of a person. Yeah, that was I just something I just learned recently. Is like a after light therapy and then medication. Meditation is probably the third best thing. Okay, I mean it's a pretty good list. I, I think I think also I think for cognition, I think if you can learn to train your mind, I think you can have more thinking capacity for what it is that you actually want to focus on versus like the worry or right. the sadness or whatever. So I think in a sense, mindfulness is just like going to the gym and, and doing some bench pressing, you know? It's, yeah. And the problem I find with people um, when they start this journey is they don't see results right away because it's kind of this weird cumulative over time. And it's hard to like quantify, like what is it actually doing? Yeah. Until you get to a place where you're like, ah, oh, I feel a little more calm. Like think, and you don't, you know, well, maybe it's because you've been meditating for the last, you know, two months and mm-hmm. finally like helping you re- reduce your anxious feelings. I don't know, but yeah, you can't see like results right away a lot of times. But if you've done it for a while, then you can go back to that well. And like I was saying to go on the couch, I don't meditate fre- that frequently anymore, but when I want to, I can, and mm-hmm. I feel restored from it. Where mm-hmm. when I started, it was a big let me, maybe I should ask you that. Like, have, do you want to talk about your mindfulness journey now? I do. Um, really quickly, though, we are. I want to separate mindfulness from meditation. So, meditation being that there's lots of different kinds, right? Yes. Like transcendental meditation or other things, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and this one, mindfulness meditation, is one transcendental meditation. From what I understand, focuses on a specific phrase that you kind of say to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know much more past that. You have to get trained by someone and it's i think rather expensive but mindfulness meditation is a type of meditation meditation i think here just meaning that you focus on doing something deliberately with your mind um so yes i can uh tell my story with uh mindfulness um when i was in undergrad i worked with a professor and he and i did research on some buddhist things um we were actually interested in the Buddhist concept of no self. Um, very, very quickly, Buddhists believe that uh, part of what leads to suffering is our attachment to things. So we attach to, let's say, nice weather. And then when the nice weather goes away, we get we feel pain. We feel sad. Or we attach to our bodies or we attach to whatever it might be. And so the research we were doing was... Uh, can people that practice um, non-attachment to their self, uh, do they actually feel better? And uh, from what I recall, it was a mixed result. But in any case, one of the things I started doing as a result of getting ready for this research was my professor asked me to uh, read some books. One of them was on meditation and mindfulness. So I started practicing, and I tried, and it was bad it i find that there was a few moments where i thought okay that's interesting but the majority of it i was like this is dumb then in graduate school i tried again i had the same result i was like this is silly Mm -hmm. then i was working in the field and i had a variety of uh, clinicians who swore by it and i tried again and i was like i still don't get it and then probably five years ago i said i'm going to dedicate as a new year's resolution to practice mindfulness every single day. Okay. And I did, and I actually still have the alarm go off on my phone every night telling me to practice. And it took me probably three or four months before I started actually seeing what I would think were benefits. 
And years later, I can see many, many more benefits than I even had back then. Um, so it's been a long journey. And I feel like if anybody can go through it, if anybody, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. I, I had the most, um, the longest, most drawn out journey with it possible. What, what's your experience been like with it? Mindfulness journey? Um, you know, I think there's always been a part of me that, that's been somewhat mindful at times. But um, I think, it, I want to say it wasn't until my early 30s when life became really stressful because of career and children and family and everything else that I started down this path. And I remember, I was just looking this up, I, I remember reading a book by um, Dan Harris. He's actually a news anchor. And he wrote a book called 10% Happier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about how he tamed like the inner voice in his head. Uh, through he went on um, a mindfulness retreat where he didn't even speak like a, for like a week mm-hmm. they didn't talk and and that got me interested in this idea of like mindfulness and I started to do meditation um, and I think from there I find I found different ways of being mindful like journaling in the morning I did some of that for for a while and then just taking time throughout my actively like really working on meditation like just as a general practice, but also being more mindful with the moment, you know, and not eating and thinking about what I'm doing in two hours from now or br- while, like while brushing my teeth, actually focusing. And another area which I think was the biggest thing for me um, that connected body and mind was I read somewhere a research article or something that talked about if you, when you're working out and lifting weights, if you focus on the muscle that you're working out, it actually increases the muscle size over time. I like, heard that too. And I was like, how is that even possible, right? And so when I work out now, I do that. And I find that part of that, you get both. You get the physical release of the exercise and you have to you focus on the muscle group. And I don't know if it's working. I'm not a particularly muscular guy or anything, <laughs> but it seems like for me that's, so it's like, it's been a journey. And this comes in and out of my life as, you know, and I know when I'm super stressed that I'd always fall back on this kind of thing. Like I meditate more. I, I spend more time. I don't watch TV while I eat. Or if I'm with people, I stop. I'm not using my phone or whatever else. As my stress level goes up, if I can get those things back under control, then mm-hmm. I feel more calm. So, yeah. so it's been a journey. And I imagine it's going to continue to be something I explore because there's a part of me that is really interested in Buddhism. Um, mm-hmm having been through a lot of different types of religious um, experiences over, over the years. There's something about it, I think, in my twilight of my self that mm-hmm. seems to make sense. Well, you got to get through Satanism where you currently are. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And once you're past devil, that, devil. <laughs> it'll be a lot easier. <laughs> Wiccan. I'm, I'm, yeah. Is <laughs> that what pagan. it is? Yeah. yeah. Wiccan. Yeah. Um, can I share some things about what mindfulness isn't? Yes, please. Because I think this is where people get caught up with stuff. Um, it is not, I would suggest, the idea that I'm not doing it right if I can only focus on one subject. Or I'm bad at it if I only focus on one subject. Because minds are organisms, like lungs and ankles and stomachs, that like to do things. And they like to think. So yeah. your mind is going to wander. And I think people get caught up on trying to stop themselves from thinking rather than accepting where their thoughts are mm-hmm. and being non-judgmental. It isn't sitting cross-legged with your fingers in that weird, like, okie-dokie kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, it's not that you have to have a still mind. 
you can try to go towards that, but you don't have to have it. Uh, don't get your mat mad at yourself if it's too hard. It was really hard for me, and I gave up, but I wish I didn't for a long time. Don't stop if you don't get it. Uh, there are many ways to do it, but some techniques are better than others. I think here's an important one. That this is this is beef I got with the mindfulness with some people, is it's not trying to relax. Do you feel me yes, on that? I agree. Okay, tell me what you think. Well, like I'm, I'm, I think people. That's the common thing I get from people. Like I can't not think. I can't relax. And when I close my eyes, I feel worked up. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You have to be present with that. Exactly. And accept yeah. what is happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes awareness of the fact that you're worked up is enough to like get you to calm down, you know, because when you're not paying attention, you're like, what's happening? I'm running around from thing to thing. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like, it's yeah. that's not the idea isn't to relax. Right? I mean, that might be an outcome, but Could it's be. not a goal. I've done mindfulness where I felt more anxious after before mm -hmm. because I'm now aware of the thing that's bothering me, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes like from the talk about like psychoanalytic theory, but this, the subconscious bubbles to the surface when I pay attention to it sometimes. And that's like, can be really scary because I'm like, oh shit, that's what I'm worried about. I, mm -hmm. I didn't realize the last two days I was so worked up because of that. And now you have to deal with it, you know? So, right. But I would, I think what a lot of meditation people would say is that if you then focus on that for long enough, that even starts to wash away too. Who has the time? Yeah. <laughs> and I have not, three to five minutes, you know? And <laughs> I, uh, and I'm not always able to do it when I feel really anxious or down and I focus on it. I don't always feel better, but I notice I definitely am doing better with it than if I didn't practice it. But anyways, to go back to the point, I've seen a lot of advertisements from a lot of great companies that have apps like Headspace or Calm. They have a lot of really great stuff in there. Yeah. But they've also, I've noticed, done some advertising to say, um, here's how you calm yourself down. Here's how you stop to feel so anxious. Um, which is really not the aim of mindfulness. Or they'll encourage, here's do these deep breathing exercises. Mindfulness isn't about changing things. It's about accepting where it is and being okay with it. So you, you, if you're finding, listener, that you're doing some kind of exercise that has you drastically changing your breathing, I mean, it might be a form, but it's not what I'm aware of, where you instead just learn to watch your breathing as it is and try to be okay with it mm -hmm. or watch your thoughts as they are. And instead of saying these need to go away or this is bad or whatever it might be, learning to sit with it watch it and say it's interesting my mind says my breathing is too shallow or i'm too i shouldn't be this angry at this thing um so yeah what do you think um <laughs> i'm thinking that um I, I was wrestling with this idea of of um like calming down your thoughts and trying to the the thing that these apps say about being able to do that um it's interesting that that's like the tagline of like go to do this so that you can stop feeling bad. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, that isn't really the aim of it all. It's it's the aim of it is is to be build awareness of of what's happening. But it's hard to like accept that you don't feel good, you know. And I think there's a semblance of like wanting that to go away. And I know you've talked through various of these episodes that you're you know the research doesn't show that. You can't. You have to learn how to deal with anxiety, and not try to make it go away. Mm -hmm. um, well, you don't get to choose it. Yeah, right. You don't get to choose it. So if we could, then we just feel good all the time. 
Yeah, why can't we do that? Well, I don't know why we can't, but we can't, you know? We don't get, and I think like any experience, if we were to say, can I just choose which emotions I'm feeling? The answer is going to be, no, you can't. And so you have to kind of come to accept that there are things that you get in a battle with that are always there with you. That, yes. Um, but that battle ends up making it worse. Um, there's going to be suffering in the world no matter what you do. But if you then try to find ways to maneuver out of the suffering in a way that's counterproductive or harmful for yourself, it's just going to make things way worse. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've noticed for myself that it's helped me manage stress. I, one thing I've actually noticed just these last few weeks is that I don't often pull out my phone and just randomly start scrolling things. I know we were talking about phones, I think, mm -hmm. the last time. And now I'm like, I, I want to go grab my phone and I want to look at whatever social media I have. Do I really want to do that right now? And I've learned to say, eh, I don't think I will. Or I think I will do it. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it too. There's a lot of great apps out there. Um, there's great videos that suggest it. Like I said, as long as it's not about changing things or trying to get yourself to forcefully feel calmer, um, I suggest it. Um, do you have any suggestions for how people can get into mindfulness as easily as possible? Yeah, I mean, I would say find an entry point that makes sense to you. I, I, I can point you in a few different directions. So you can do one of these apps. You can, you can um, calm, headspace, whatever. They also have a place on Netflix. Um, some books I, I liked in the beginning that I read and um, still go back to at times, that 10% Happier if you want an autobiography. Um, uh, I like Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now. That, that, that was a powerful book. It's a little dated at this point. I think it came out back in like the 2000, 1990, late 90s. Um, John Kabat-Zinn, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's, I got that one, yeah. Um, I think I have that on my shelf. I like that one a lot. That's a good one, too. Um, but if you don't want to do all that, you know, if you're not into reading or any of that and you're like, this is too much, why don't you just start somewhere small? Like, we all eat regularly. Mm -hmm. So why don't you try for, for a meal a day or maybe all the meals in the day, not doing anything other than focusing on what's happening in that moment. Taste the food, mm -hmm. feel the food, smell the food. You know, and just be, pay attention to that and see how you feel after that. Mm -hmm. Probably take five or ten minutes, depending on the size of your meal. I so love it, yeah. Simple. Right. We all eat. Right. So, Or take even a smaller thing, like a blackberry or a mint. Or the classic one that people do is like a raisin. You know, can yeah. you just eat it really, really slowly and enjoy mm -hmm. it? And actually some research shows that people who eat more slowly get enjoy the flavors more. So when you eat things more slowly and mindfully, you're more likely to enjoy the things that come out of it yes and so um it just is to another point that we should uh consider slowing down and being more present um are you okay with me talking about um psychotherapy and mindfulness tactics yes i am totally fine cool with please, okay please go ahead yeah so uh historically we have um Oh, I don't know, I think it was in the 50s or so, we have some psychologists who were doing research on what kind of interventions help people. And these were some of these were behaviorists. They essentially believed that because you can't measure thoughts or emotions, that instead, the better focus would be to only try to change what a person does. And they would even say that 
the emotions or thoughts, the internal world of that person is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so then they, should we just pause for a sec? Okay. So then they found, uh, so they only focus on changing behaviors and a lot of elements of psychology were doing that. Um, then the second wave behaviorists were the cognitive behavior therapists. Okay. Who then said, uh, the internal world is important in the sense that we need to address thoughts because thoughts can be irrational. And if we focus on our thoughts, then we can learn to change them in addition to changing behaviors. The third wave of behavior therapists were things starting, I think, in the 80s. And those are things like acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, in addition to other things, where they actually go back to saying thoughts don't matter as much, but not for the same reason. So they're actually very similar to the first wave behaviorists, but they said thoughts don't matter because you can, what a problem people get into is they try to argue with their thoughts and they're often unsuccessful. So I'm curious, Ingo, for you and maybe even the listener, like, have you ever tried to get in an argument with yourself and find that you're not going anywhere? Maybe like, I need to stop worrying about this or I'm overthinking or I need to stop thinking about something. Do you ever have that experience? Yeah, I, I think arguing with myself, I think there's a, it's interesting you talk about arguing because there's several books I've read about the voice in our head. And I definitely spent a good portion of my 30s arguing with that negative voice in my head and still do at times when I'm feeling insecure. So yes, and not getting anywhere. I've definitely had that experience. Why do you ask? Well, this that's the point of these third wave behavioral interventions like acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy is that unlike cognitive behavioral therapy where you directly argue with your thoughts, these more recent approaches say don't try to argue with them. Instead, just be mindful. Be present with them. Learn to not engage with them. Learn to live your life and do the behavior and try not to engage with them. Which is, to me, I think a good reason, a good explanation as to why mindfulness seems to help people. Okay. Is it gets you out of your thinking, at least with engaging with worrying or engaging with the trauma, and into living the life that you think is the right thing that you should do. And even if you think about this in terms of exposures, in fact, exposure is a necessary part of a lot of these interventions, mm -hmm. is that you say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to, because I can't do it, it makes me too anxious. Well, we say, can we learn to see our anxiety mindfully, but still do the thing that's challenging anyways? Yeah, that's what people struggle with, I think, in, 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 in as a whole. They, they, they have this, I think clients that come in here somehow have this expectations that they'll never never feel anxious again. If, if To be cured, my anxiety has to, I hate that my anxiety, the anxiety yeah. has to go away completely, which oftentimes isn't the case. What actually has to happen is, is you, your relationship with it has to change. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's what we're working on changing. We're not trying to cure someone from ever feeling anything because we have no control over those feelings. So uh, accepting those feelings is a different thing, though. And the research, again, shows that people who have higher levels of acceptance end mm -hmm. up feeling a lot better. Yes. And acceptance is a major component in these kinds of things. In dialectical behavioral therapy, they have radical acceptance, which is to say, can you learn to just be okay with whatever it is you're going through? Which sounds a lot like mindfulness. And it does. Mindfulness is a major component of it, too. So 
I found that the longer I'm in the field, the more important mindfulness seems to be. And it seems to be becoming more and more a part of more modern psychotherapies as well. Mm-hmm. I've also noticed, though, to go back to a point that you said that some just a beef I have. For the listener, if there's any one thing I could suggest for your mental health, it is to practice mindfulness regularly. But I've noticed that whenever I suggest it to my clients, they almost never start doing it. At least, they don't. At least not right away. No. Um, what's your experience with that? Well, I think men in particular, uh, women to me, uh, females seem, seem to be more open to the idea of trying this. But in my experience, males in particular think there's something like weak about being mindful like you're a pussy or something, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like not tough because you're being mindful. Um, and they don't see the benefit of it or clients will come in after like a week goes by and they'll say, well, I tried this and it didn't work for me. I'm like, and then we'll explore like, okay, well, how often did you try it? And they're like, well, I tried it this morning right before the session. And I'm like, okay, what were you, and then we walk to the point, what were you doing? And it was like one of those, I, I'm going to go see my therapist and I got to get slam this in before. And I'm like, that is not the purpose of what that was me with my math homework in seventh grade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're cramming it in trying mm-hmm. to hope for the best. So it's a struggle, but inevitably if people start to do this and then I think our challenge sometimes is to find the mindfulness thing that they'll actually do, whether yeah. it's writing, meditating, eat, being mindful about what they eat mm-hmm. or being mindful of whatever, you know, or, someone who loves music i'm like why don't you just put some headphones on and just sit there and just enjoy what you're listening to and fully and don't get this you know anything and that's like the beginning of the journey i think what what about you no exactly i was going to say you don't have to use an app you don't have to go through some kind of video i think that can be a really productive means but yeah i personally like doing mindfulness of my breathing but you could also do it of walking i think it's probably more difficult mindfulness Um, walking how would that work you just walk slowly and feel your each step that you have very carefully. Okay. And how your body shifts and things like that. Like over hot coals, that kind of thing? Yeah, right. <laughs> Going back to the idea that we're like floating and, yeah. Um, of, I think I said, yeah, breathing, of eating is a good one. I personally like when doing sounds to focus on something that's rather repetitive. So I personally like Philip Glass for that reason, a minimalist composer who will often use the same sounds, or Steve Reich. These are composers who use very similar sounds over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to it for long enough and you try not to, you try to just focus on it, it starts to become almost like trance-like, and it becomes really enjoyable I think, okay. at that time. Um, but you can use other music. It's just that it's going to, I think, um, maybe invest you in different ways, uh, which, is, which is fine. Well, one thing too, uh, on this topic of like finding things, I think for parents, um, in particular, it, it, it's helpful if you can find ways to incorporate this as part of parenting, for example. So like incorporating mindfulness before bedtime with your children might help them relax more and be able to get to sleep better. So there's a double benefit and you're also teaching them ways of regulating emotions and, and trying to manage how their internal states are more, more in a healthier way, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, so you, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of that, like involving families or children or, you know, partners, spouses, trying to have a, a support person maybe to do it with as a way of like holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. That's something I should do more. I haven't really thought of it that way, but yeah, something to help each other with, with it, you know? 
because it ends up being like essentially like you're saying is valuable as exercise at the end of the day and so we i think as mental health professionals should be encouraging it even more mm -hmm. so have we covered everything as far as yeah. mindfulness goes what what other things would you like to share i'm trying to think well one thing you know there's many type, different types of mind mindfulness but i'm a like people who struggle with going to sleep i'm i'm one of those um people at times a, a trick that i like a lot is to is when you're laying there and you can do this when you're not trying to sleep too is just trying to be aware of what your body is is doing mm -hmm. and trying to start you can start from the top of your head or your toes and slowly work your way up or down and just try to understand like what am i feeling like what what do my toes feel like what do my calves and work your kind of that is a way of feeling mindful and relaxing yourself and trying to understand like where do you feel the stress you know mm -hmm. what's happening and those apps have stuff like that in them all the time but you don't really like you said you don't need that you can close your eyes and set a timer for 10 minutes and just do that and try mm -hmm. to understand like oh, my stomach's feeling a little upset, like I'm feeling anxious or whatever, or, mm -hmm. you know, my heart is heavy, I'm, I'm sad. And just trying to understand like where somatically, like where, where the yeah. feelings are coming from. Or even like, I didn't even notice I was grinding my teeth during this. Yeah. Right? And they could, because with awareness comes choice. Yes. Right. And I think that's a big thing here is like what we want to do, what people tend to notice who practice mindfulness enough is that they start to get a little this little tiny space in between when they feel the thing to when they act on it. Yes. And so when you can get that space, you can then choose, do you want to do it? Like I said, I was, as everyone does, I was just kind of habitually looking at my phone and I still do. But now I have this thing where I say like, is that something I want to do? Do I want to do what my, that urge is telling me to? Yeah. And sometimes I don't, you know, but if we can say, Oh, I didn't even notice I was carrying this tension in my shoulder. Do I do I want to hold on to that? We can say, no, I don't. I, no. Should, I should kind of drop that. Should let it go. Because we weren't otherwise aware of it. We're too busy focusing on the TV show we're watching and looking at our phone and talking mm -hmm. with our partner and yes. whatever it might be, and eating, scarfing down a sandwich or something. Mm -hmm. So I just want to, yeah, like you said, I want to encourage um, people to just practice it in whatever way they feel is reasonable. And the research shows that even just 10 minutes a day. It's more um, than enough. Yep. People, people come up to me and they say, I don't got enough time. And I'll say, take a hike, buddy, because we will, if we need to, we'll go through your entire schedule. And if we will find a time to do it. Yes. You know, it is important. Enough. It's just not important to them is what they're saying. Yeah. They don't see the value in it. Or they don't want to sacrifice the other things. And I get it. Right. I don't want somebody to be telling me to add something to my day every day, but it's worth it. You know, this is, I think, the single most important thing we can do for our mental health. Yeah, and sometimes it's just as simple as instead of eating your lunch in front of your computer is taking your lunch and going out. If it's a nice day, sit sit on your back. Most people work from home now a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So sit on your back porch and look at the beauty of your backyard and eat there or sit at the kitchen table and, you know, don't use your phone and just eat the food. Mm -hmm. Take the five, 10 minutes and, you know, pay attention to yourself and then come back to work. And you'll probably be more productive too, if you do that. So. Probably feel better. Yeah. Yes. But those are outcomes of continued mindfulness practice. And to go back to your story about the clients who say, I just tried it and it didn't work. That's like going to the gym and doing bench press once and being like, why am I not strong? Yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> right. because that's not how muscles develop. They develop because you do it over the course of months and then you get better and better at it the more you mm -hmm. do it. This, just like lifting weights, it's simple. All you got to do is move the weight from here to there. But over the course of it, it gets bigger and stronger. And mindfulness is simple. Doesn't mean yeah. it's easy though. Right. And this is it's e it's simple to focus on one thing. Doesn't mean it's easy to do. 
So it is. have we covered everything? I think for, for, for the purpose of what we're trying to talk about mindfulness-wise, I think we certainly have as an overview. We can definitely come back to this at some point and get into specific types of meditations or mindfulness practices, but I think we gave people a good jumping-off point. There's really no wrong way to do this. Uh, you know, I want to encourage people just to find something that works for them, you know, whatever it might yeah. be. The wrong way is, I would think, the ones that are trying to change your experience or the ones that um, aren't working for you. Otherwise. Yes, And you just keep trying to do the same thing over and over again. Be willing to try different mindfulness experiences. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So, now we get to our favorite part of the show. Guilty leisures. Yeah. Do you have one? I do. I want to kind of flex guilty leisures as we go forward to also include things that I've just been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I say my guilty leisure is I'm reading maybe one of the um, biggest and nerdiest books of all time, Dune. Um, oh, yeah. Have I, you read Dune? I read it a long, long, long time ago, and I don't really remember much of it. And I tried to start watching the movie a couple months ago, and I was like, I just can't get into this. So I, I don't know. The version I have is, I think, 800 pages. I'm only about 100 pages in. So yeah, so far, so good. And I've also been thinking a lot about Peter Singer, who's a philosopher. He but listeners, he just, he, I don't know if he just released, but he released his book, The Life You Can Save, for free as a podcast, as a downloadable book, or as free to read. Huh. And maybe we'll talk about that another day, but I strongly suggest that I've been really enjoying going through that. Peter Singer, huh? He's a philosopher. He's got a lot That's, of really interesting I think I've views. heard that name probably from you. Probably I've, from I'm me. I'm guessing, yes. Yeah. Why do I know that name? Yeah. Okay. So what's your guilty leisure? Um... I mean, I was talking to you about this before we started. Like, I've really gotten into plants the last six months or a year, and it's starting to, it was just here in my office, uh, and now it's translated to home, and we got some plants at the house. And there's, I don't know what it is, but there's something really calming for me about having like vegetation indoors. And speaking of mindfulness, yesterday I was doing some yoga after work because I was really tense in my really? living room, and there were plants around, and I'm just like, yeah, this feels kind of nice mm -hmm. so um that's been my whole thing and historically i have a i have a very bad green thumb i tend to overwater underwater or kill things and so far in my office i've done okay so I, i'm learning it's an experience and i'm really enjoying it indoor plants i mean i like outdoor yeah. plants too but indoor specifically trying to bring nature inside is kind of what i find it interesting that here sitting in your office you chose to only grow cannabis <laughs> well, what was that choice about? I mean, you know, I got to have something to do between <laughs> clients, you know? Yeah, that's the real way to calm down. Freud. <laughs> that's right. Let me have a little bit of this. I, I send people home with goodie bags, you know, it's good. Well, Freud had cocaine. Ingo has uh, I have cannabis. Weed. Yeah. I forgot that he did a lot of cocaine. Kind of wild. It's so interesting that he had such great ideas and had a lot of other ideas of like, yikes, that doesn't age well. You know. Well, oh, there was a show I just started watching on H um, Apple TV. Uh, with Harrison Ford in it, um, it's called Shrinkage. Shrinks, Shrinking or something. Shrinkage, yeah, yeah, or Shrinking, Shrinking. I think Shrinkage is. Have you seen it? It's a different thing. Yeah. Have you seen that? No, I just seen commercials. It's kind of funny. Like I started watching it, and it's interesting because the the main therapist, the younger guy, is kind of a disaster, and it, and he plays the typical stereotype of like how people view us as like we're train wrecks, which I don't think he's that far off a lot of times but, definitely some truth in it, but yeah. there's definitely some truth but he's like takes it to a whole nother level and he has you would you would probably be you probably have anxiety watching that show because he's breaking all kinds of ethics as far as how he treats his clients but it's effective 
So, you know, I don't know. So, hey, cannabis, no cannabis, what can I tell Oh, Lord, please. We're joking, by the way. Totally kidding. I don't have cannabis in my office. Yeah, just at home. Anymore. (laughs) Just anymore. (laughs) Yeah, gosh, I have a lot of opinions on those kinds of things. Yeah. Maybe another day. Maybe another day. Well, all right, that has been this edition of Drinks and Trinks. Uh, My name is Ingle Weidel. I'm John Deku. And we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps. Thank you.